Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We're glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. Hi. How's everyone? <laughs> Is everyone all right today? Has it been a bad week or something? Um, hey, I... Uh, I have a couple of things to share with you. This, this is, uh, well, last week we celebrated global missions. We, if you remember, we had the, the three missionaries here and, and it was a great Sunday and we shared this little booklet with you. If you were not here last week and you didn't get a chance to grab one of these, they're in the, in the mission table in the foyer. Let me encourage you to, to grab this. Um, secondly, last week we were also supposed to have t-shirts available and, and here they are. Look at that. Look at that T-shirt. Isn't that a nice-looking T-shirt? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a good T-shirt. Uh, they're not free, uh, but they are at the table in the back, and you can you can buy one if you would like. They're, they're ten dollars, and for the ten dollars, you get the shirt, and you know that that money that you would buy the shirt with goes to the global mission offering as well. So so it's it's a great shirt. I like it. Uh, our mission teams will will all be given one. So. If you're on the Kenya mission trip in May, uh, you can go by and grab one for, for free. Um, and so, um, so anyway, uh, go buy a shirt. Uh, it, it'll be, it'll be good. You'll enjoy wearing it. Um, you know, and in the coming days, if we do something as a church, perhaps if we go serve our community together, these, these would be a, a great shirt to wear out there. I love the shirt because it is our theme uh, across the street and around the world. But it is sublime enough that you wouldn't know exactly what it's talking about. So a mission team could feel comfortable wearing this shirt anywhere in the world. And, and I like that as well. So uh, across the street and around the world, that's First Baptist Belton. That's Integrative Missions. That's, that's who we are. That was, that was a sermon for two weeks ago, though. So there's going to come a day. There will come a day when someone is standing in this pulpit we will have been praying he will have been praying our pastor search team will have been working diligently for some number of months that man will have had countless meetings with elders with with deacons with other church groups he will have interviewed several times with the committee he probably would have already stood here at least once to preach a sermon in view of a call he will have answered numerous questions from our church he will have gone through a church vote uh, church vote and it would result in his calling and he would he and his wife would pray together he and his family would pray together and they would agree with the church that yes indeed he has been being called as the next pastor of first baptist belton and in this very spot he will be preaching his very first sermon as the pastor of First Baptist Belton. Aren't you looking forward to that day? I'm looking forward to that day. So but just as Audrey said, between now and then, we pray and we pray and, and we pray. Months ago, long before Brother Andy's announcement of his retirement, he had tasked the staff with developing our core values. These core values were to be the manner in which we operate, the, the lens through which we make decisions, the core of who we are. That, that's what core values do. They identify who we are or who we are becoming. 
the core values ground us. When I was a youth minister in a church north of Dallas, about an hour north of Dallas, I had been there about a year, and there was a young man named Daniel. He was 19 years old. He had been a senior when I came on as youth minister, so I didn't know him real well, but I knew the family. The family was a very committed family, very strong family in our church. Daniel was driving home one day in the back roads, uh, very hilly back roads, and it was, it was, um, it was, I don't remember what time of day it was, but I do know what I remember is that he came up over a hill, and at the bottom of the hill, there was a long trailer making a left turn in front of him. And the trailer uh, did not quite cut the corner properly, so it was backing up, trying to straighten up, and it was across both lanes of the small road. And Daniel, those few seconds from the top of the hill to the bottom of the hill were his last as he ran into the trailer. And as you can imagine, the grief that this family had was huge. It, it hurt. It was, it was loss beyond measure. And, and any time we lose someone, particularly family or someone close to us, that, that grief is heavy. And, and when we lose someone, we lose a bit of our own identity. We lose a, a little bit of who we are and we become a bit lost. This family became lost and it was very, very difficult. Not to lighten that or belittle that experience, but we as a church lost. We lost our pastor. We lost our pastor of 32 years. And in that, we, we lost a bit of our identity. We lost a bit of who we are when Brother Andy left. And so whether it was Brother Andy's wisdom or just God's doing that several months before Andy even announced his retirement, he set us on the task of identifying our core values. And so that's what we've been preaching these last few weeks. We've been talking about our core values, who we are as a church, because when we call our next pastor, we, we need to know what we're doing and we need to know who we are. For years, we have had our mission statement, knowing Jesus intimately, serving Jesus passionately and sharing Jesus globally. Many of you could concite it yourselves. And so now in our identity series, we begin to understand the lens by which we make decisions, the modes in which we operate. That's why Matt Hollingsworth has led us to preach the series in which we're in right now, identity, who we are, the fingerprint that makes First Baptist Belton unique. Who has God made us to be? Who has God made us to be so that we can fulfill our mission. We have these list of core values. We've had seven of them and we preached on six of them. There's a, a document that's not yet been published uh, that, that most of you have not seen. And, and in this document that it, where it describes the core values, there's actually a heading to this document. It's actually almost like a preamble. And that preamble reads like this, by God's grace, by God's grace, we aim we aim to be a gospel-centered people. 
So by God's grace, without God's grace, we could not do any of this. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that no servants share Jesus to the glory of the triune God. Through prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit, we accomplish this through the following core values, and then the core values are listed. So far, we have preached on undistracted excellence, sacrificial worship, prioritizing the word, transforming discipleship, attractive community, and integrative missions. Today, we'll look at the seventh core value, unity and diversity. Unity in diversity. Our text for today will be Psalm 133. If you would turn there, please. Psalm 133. I'm going to be honest with you. This sermon was difficult to prepare because in a very ironic way, the very sermon, unity and diversity, feels like the very sermon that could divide us if we're not careful. To me, that's just ironic that a sermon on unity in our diversity would have the potential of dividing us as a church. And I've struggled with with how to present this sermon, and I finally just settled on, you can't go wrong with the word, right? You can't go wrong with the word. Psalm 133, that's where we're going to be in today's text. Before we begin, I do feel it necessary to uh, define what I mean by unity and diversity, because both of those words have been hijacked in recent days where unity has often been defined as be quiet and agree with me. And diversity, for those of you who work in many workplaces, you know how that word has been taken and defined. So let me tell you what I mean by these two words. By diversity, I am referring to those things which make us beautifully distinct from one another. By diversity, I'm referring to those things which make us beautifully distinct from one another. It's the biblical distinctions by which God has made us to be. Our looks, our personality, our passions and such. God has made each one of us unique and distinctly beautiful. And by unity, I mean this, a oneness that creates a singular focus, a oneness that creates a singular focus through which we receive our motivation and ambition to serve the Lord. Putting these thoughts together, we can derive a concept for unity and diversity. Each week, we have read together a description of a particular core value, and we'll do that again today. We're going to read the description of what unity and diversity means for our church. Let's read together. God created all people equal in value and dignity and yet beautifully distinct. Together, we embrace these differences as we seek to love and serve our neighbors and the community. We seek to be unified in leadership and vision as we pursue gospel partnerships in Bell County and to the ends of the earth. Unity and diversity. Let's read Psalm 133. Psalm 133, a song of sense of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing 
life forevermore. That's our text for today. Our first point is this, and I've already said it. Point number one, our diversity makes us beautifully distinct. I want you to take note in the psalm, there is a heading. A lot of psalms actually have headings, and these headings give you either the author or the context of a, of a particular psalm. In fact, one of the most famous ones is, is Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, that heading says, uh, you, you'll know the psalm when you see the heading. Psalm 51 says this, that heading says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Quite descriptive. So you now understand when you read Psalm 51, this is David's lament of his sin and his egregiousness that he had uh, conducted the way he lived his life. Well, Psalm 33 has a heading, a song of ascents, a song of ascents. The Psalms of ascents were written for the expressed purpose of movement toward worship. The picture you should see in your mind here is the the 12 tribes of Israel who are scattered out the Judean region. The the tribes would be gathering to Jerusalem for celebration of one of their annual feasts. As the people from various tribes would travel the roads toward Jerusalem, they they would be joined together by others from different tribes. And it it is thought that these Psalms of Ascents would be chanted or recited or sung together as those from the differing tribes would approach, approach Jerusalem as one people. In this throng of people, the mass of worshipers began to approach Jerusalem for festival. You should see the picture in your mind's eyes, a myriad of types of people. All walks of life would be represented. A full range of the social uh, scale from, from the 12 tribes of Israel would, would join in together in one voice in preparation for worship. You could have the baker walking next to the beggar. You could have the merchant next to the marginalized, the silversmith next to the shepherd, men and women and children traveling together for one purpose. The nation of Israel, though comprised of 12 tribes, they were not necessarily bound together by their nationhood, but by their covenant with God. They were bound together by covenant as God's family. The church, the church is formed in the same way. Throughout history, the church has been marked by its diversity. A study of the New Testament reveals just how diverse the early church was within just a few short years of its beginning. From the Jewish churches to Gentile churches, from rich churches to poor churches, from missional churches to selfish churches, from churches that were quite static and traditional to charismatic and free churches, from churches that stayed true to Jesus' teaching to churches that needed much correction. In the very first century, the church was quite diverse. For a period of history, I would say the church lost its way as a light to the Gentiles. But then somewhere in the late 18th century, the church began to rekindle its missional purpose. And you can see in the history of the church as, as the mission of God began to beat within the heart of the church and they began to reach out to the, 
to the marginalized. They began to reach out to those that had never heard the gospel. And it took a while for this missionary effort to take root. At the beginning of the 20th century, 90% of all Christians lived in the West and the North, primarily Europe and North America. I want to show you this slide. See the slide right here? Now, in the 21st century, just a little over 100 years later, as the mission of God has expanded across the world, for those who call themselves Christian, 25% of those who call themselves Christians live in South America and Latin America, 22% in Africa, 15% in Asia, 20% in Europe, and 12% in North America. Christianity is truly a global religion, and it makes us diverse, and it makes us beautiful, and it's incredible. What makes us distinct, however? Within Christianity, what makes each of us as individuals distinct? I think it is important for us to recognize those things that make us diverse because it is those things which make us diverse that can also easily divide us. Martin Luther King often said as early as 1960 until the day of his death that the most segregated hour in America was the hour of worship on Sunday morning. We recognize skin color as something that makes us beautifully distinct. Let me ask this question. Does skin color still divide us? Does ethnicity still divide us? Here's some demographics for Belton. I don't know. In your head, I'm going to ask this question. You can't answer it out loud, but what percentage of Belton do you think is Caucasian? Just kind of have get an answer in your head. What percentage of Belton do you believe would be Caucasian? Particularly if you look at around in our church, First Baptist Belton, 49, in 2018, 49.7% of Belton was Caucasian. Less than half. Less than half of our own city is white or Caucasian. 30.8% is Hispanic, 10.8% is black or African American, and the remaining 87 are spread between Asian and others. That's Belton. That's who, that's who our community is. Take a quick look around. I think this quick look around in our own building could reveal that we do have some diversity in our midst, but we certainly do not reflect our community. The events of 2020 have shown us that while a lot of progress has been made in the area of race, we still have a long way to go. Does the discussion on race in our nation make you uncomfortable or irritated? Because if it does, it's probably time for you to face it. In the aftermath of the death of George Floyd, a real and healthy discussion was occurring within our nation and among our churches on the issues of race relations. Yet when the rioting began, those healthy discussions reverted back to the usual blame game, finger pointing and political talking points. We allowed and perhaps secretly embraced the riots as a distraction from doing the real work of healing and reconciliation. The voice of the church became quieter 
and quieter, yet the problems remain. The fact remains that we have brothers and sisters in Christ all, of all, all across our country and even in our city and our nation who are hurting due to the treatment they receive because of the color of their skin. Yet those of us who remain comfortable in our padded pews, behind our large screens and in the safety of our middle-class homes, we simply shake our heads in apathy, perhaps wishing the issue of race would just go away. I believe as a church we should strive for ethnic diversity. We should strive to understand and we should strive to be a part of the conversation and we should strive to be a part of the solution. If worshiping next to somebody of a different skin color or ethnicity would make you uncomfortable, I do have news for you. Heaven may be a difficult place for you for a while. We're going to be there. And everybody's going to be there from all nations all tribes, all ethnicities. And again, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be exciting. And I know we all long for that day. So yes, ethnicity makes us beautifully distinct. So does our gender. That one's easy. Male, female, he created us. God's beautiful design and gift for mankind was to give us male and female, to give us to each other. And we are distinct and we are made for, you, for each other. And that is incredible. And that is awesome. Personality also makes us distinct. He's given each of us a distinct personality. Psychologists for a long time have tried to determine personality types. Many of you have taken these tests. Maybe you've taken the DISC profile. I'm an SC. Uh, maybe you've uh, taken a Myers-Briggs personality profile. I am an INFZ, uh, which means uh, I'm, I'm an introvert. And you guys tire me out. Being around people is tiring. Um, but I love you. And thank you for loving me and being patient with me. Um, you know, anyway, uh, there's another personality test called the Enneagram. Uh, for the Enneagram, maybe you've heard of that. I'm a nine-wing one. A nine-wing one. Do you know what that means? Uh, a nine means I'm, um, I'm a peacemaker. And a one uh, means I'm... I'm a, oh, I seek solutions, um, a negotiator. Uh, so put those together, or a reformer, a reformer. One is a reformer. Put those in nine-wing-one together, and, and I'm a negotiator. I'm, I try to seek peace. And when I'm in a confrontational setting, I get very emotional and teary-eyed because I'm completely and totally out of my comfort zone and, and who I am. It's just me. So for those of you who are confrontationalists, for those of you who like to argue and like to debate, it's not me, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll be in the conversation, but it's very uncomfortable for me because by nature I want to be a peacemaker. I want to try to find solution. I like to try to bring people together. I'm not always good at it, but I, I, I try. I was talking to uh, Ruth, our intern, and I told her I took the Enneagram test, and I was a peacemaker, and I was telling her that's... That's so boring. I'm just a boring person. And she said, well, blessed are the peacemakers. And I said, who said that? Come on. You know, come on. And I, I know who said that, by the way. I do know who said that. Um, but the, the point is, our, our personalities, our personalities make us beautifully distinct. And I'm so glad that most of you are not like me. Many of you, you have 
you have that that drive to get things done you have you have the ambition to succeed or you have you have the ability to bring data together and just put it together in a way that makes sense for people to understand there's there's so many different personalities and i love that about our church and it makes us beautifully distinct so god has made us in his image he has given us our skin color he has assigned to us our gender before we were even formed in our mother's wombs he implanted our personalities and all of these things make us distinct and uniquely beautiful and on top of this when all of us when we became christians and we crossed that line of faith he also imparted to us spiritual gifts and some of you you have the spiritual gift of evangelism or of faith or giving or service or prayer or working with your hands or teaching or discernment or prophecy and god has made you distinct and inverse in our ethnicity our gender our personalities our spiritual gifts he made you and me just as exactly as he intended each of us is different each of us is distinct and together we make a diverse group of people called the church and we must work diligently every day to make sure that what makes us diverse does not divide us it is hard work to not be divided. It takes grace. It takes mercy. It takes patience and forgiveness. It takes a lot of the giving of the self. And what better organization, organization to be prepared for that other than the church? The best way for us to ensure that we do not allow our diversity to divide us is to focus on that thing which unites us. We are a people bound together by covenant forged in the blood of God's son. We are bound together by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so now our text, and this goes, this goes pretty quick. I promise you. Uh, let's go to verse one. Behold, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. First point, our second point, unity and diversity is rare. Unity and diversity is rare. Look at that word. Behold, as the 12 tribes of Israel traveled the roads to Jerusalem to celebrate and worship together, they would sing this song together. They would sing Psalm 133 together. First of all, they would make the exclamation to behold, to look, to gaze upon, to take it in, to see it with your eyes, to look intently at this thing that I'm showing you. And in this world of chaos, in this world of hatred, in this world of accusation, you know that Satan himself, the accuser, he is performing this task well, the task to divide. But this scripture says, behold, when brothers dwell in unity, it is awesome. It is incredible when the church is Unified, There is something to behold. And that thing is brothers dwelling in unity. This dwelling, it's much more than a family reunion to be endured. It's, it's, a, it's a picture of a family living together. It's not temporary. It is long-term. You reside there. You stay there in unity. You put down roots there. The picture here is a long duration, a long duration of a family dwelling, stewing, marinating in unity. And indeed, that is something to behold. A group of people, a church, standing in unity together. And it is rare. But because it's rare, it is something to behold. 
the scripture here in verse in verse one gives us two descriptions of unity. Unity and diversity is good. It is good. God has declared a lot of things good. When he made creation, he declared it good. When something is declared good, it means that it is right. When Joseph consoled his brothers and after his father's death, Joseph declared his time in Egypt as good. The promised land is described as a good land. God himself is good. So when we dwell in unity, despite our diversity, or in the midst of our diversity, we are doing the right thing. We are being right. We are acting in the will of God. We are doing and being as God is and does. Our being and our actions align with God's being and actions when we dwell in unity together. There is an oughtness of being good by dwelling in unity. Unity and diversity is also pleasant. As humans, we like pleasant things. The gentle breeze off the ocean, across the beach, and and rolling up our skin. We love that feel. The unsuspecting aroma, it wafts into your nostrils, and it just conjures some pleasant and incredible memories. A tender hug and a kiss from our spouse that comes at just that right moment when it's needed. It's that music. It's that music that makes you smile. It's the chocolate that tantalizes your taste buds. We like pleasant things. Experiences that are pleasurable. Unity in our diversity, is pleasurable. It's good to enjoy. We should desire and crave unity with our fellow believers despite those things that could divide us. Unity in diversity is both good and pleasant. So we have unity in diversity is rare and it is good and it is pleasant. Unity in diversity also prepares us for service Verse 2, it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Unity in diversity prepares us for service or prepares us for God's mission. Verse 2 provides an allusion or reference to Leviticus 8. In the early formation of Israel as a nation in between the time of the crossing of the Red Sea and, and into the promised land, it took some time for them to form their identity as a nation. And during that time, Aaron, the brother of Moses, was anointed as Israel's first high priest. God told Moses to gather the people at the tent of meeting. And there in a grand ceremony, Moses places priestly garments on his brother Aaron. And then Moses takes oil and he anoints the tabernacle and everything in it. Then in chapter 8, verse 12 of Leviticus, it says, And he, Moses, poured some of the oil of anointing on Aaron's head and anointed him and consecrated him. And on that day, Aaron became Israel's first high priest. He was set aside. He was set aside for the service of God for the people. Imagine yourself in that crowd. 
You see the actions of Moses. He's pouring the oil over his brother and you see the oil. You see the anointing oil. It comes down over his forehead and maybe right across his nose and over his cheeks. And now it's oozing down into his beard and into the nooks and crannies and crevices of his face. And it drips down onto his collar. And you can see this oil. It just, it's everywhere. And unity and diversity is like that. It it should ooze, it should creep into all the nooks and crannies of who we are as a people. And when it does, it, just like with Aaron, sets him aside, it prepares us for service to the Lord. Unity and diversity also finally provides life. Verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The psalmist describes unity and diversity as the dew that falls on Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon Hermon was the source of water as the snow from its peaks melts and as the rain from its slopes flows and as the dew moistens the ground, the water would flow from Mount Hermon down to the valleys below, providing for Israel the water needed for life. In the same way, when brothers dwell in unity, it provides a life-giving, a life-enhancing experience. To dwell in unity is life-giving. Everything is better when we are unified. A unified church on mission with God, cannot be stopped. It is life-giving to all those who come in contact with her. Unity and diversity, it is rare, it is good, it is pleasant. It prepares us for service and it provides life. So someone could ask, why are we suggesting that unity and diversity be one of our core values? I don't know that anyone would balk at the idea that unity and diversity is a good thing, but should it really be a core value of the church? Well, in John 17, Jesus prayed for it. In Philippians 2, Paul called for it. In Galatians 3, Paul describes it. In Revelation 7, we see it in action. I hope that our church will look as much like heaven as it possibly can. God on his throne with all walks of life surrounding him, bowing to him, singing to him, worshiping him, serving him. It is important that we recognize and embrace unity and diversity as a part of our identity. We are who we, we we, we want unity and diversity to either be who we are or who we're becoming. I'm a high school baseball umpire. I umpired a lot of games this past week. It's tournament season. A lot of games are played. Sometimes in a game, a pitcher may be struggling. He's walked two or three batters. The team is down eight to two. It's not a good game. There's been some errors made. The coach is frustrated. And this pitcher has thrown 10 straight balls. Walked two guys and it counts two and oh. And coaches say a lot of things in those situations. Trust me. They say a lot of different things. One of the things that they say that's a common phrase is make an adjustment. And they'll say it in a variety of ways. You have the calm coach. He'll just say from the bench, he doesn't get up, make an adjustment. 
He's frustrated. His team is losing. His team is down. His pitcher can't throw strikes. Make an adjustment. Sometimes you have those coaches, though, they're mad, and they slam down their clipboard or whatever. They're in their dugout. They step out on the field two or three steps. Make an adjustment. You can hear it, right? Surely you've seen it. You can see a coach doing that. They're just frustrated. I don't know. In this issue of unity and diversity and the American church and our own church, sometimes I wonder, is God in his heavenly dugout looking at the American church and saying, make an adjustment, make an adjustment. When it comes to unity and diversity, what do we need to adjust? What do I need to adjust? I have some things. What do you need to adjust? How is God speaking to you today? I fear for you if right now you're saying in your head, not me, brother, I'm good. You just need to look in the mirror, brother. If that's what's in your head and heart right now, I feel for you. That peacemaker in me wants to say, come on, come on, come along, come along. The reality is, this is each one of us. We need to make an adjustment. Unity and diversity, let's embrace it. God, we love you. We thank you that you are the God of everyone, every person. And you are especially the God of those who have given their lives to you. You lead them, you guide them, you provide for us. You've given us life in the gospel. You've given us life through your son. And you've created this church. Lord, may we please as a church never let things divide us, big or small, For First Baptist Belton, whether it's a four-by-seven piece of cloth, whether it's a piece of land a mile away from here, whether it's whether, whether we should be going around the world or across the street, whether it's big or small, may we be a church that's not distracted by those things that make us distinct but lord may we be unified for those in here that are living out of love let them let out a love for those in here who are living out of faith let them live out of faith and together lord may we be unified because what we focus on is you in the gospel, and your mission. We love you, and it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You have an invitation today to deal with God as you see fit. And I encourage you to do so. As you stand and as you sing or as you pray, don't use this time to think about what's next in Sunday school, but use this time right now to deal with the Lord. And should you need to speak with me or a staff member, we will be available here at the front. Let's stand together in our time of invitation.
Thank you for listening. Please feel free to call the church at 254-939-0705 if you need prayer or if you need to talk with someone. We're here to listen, help, and encourage.